0: On Tuesday, former police officer Derek Chauvin received the verdict of the jury in the matter of the death of George Floyd.
1: Members of the jury, I will now read the verdicts as they will appear in the permanent records of the 4th Judicial District. We, the jury, in the above-entitled matter as to count one, unintentional second-degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty, count two, Third-degree murder, perpetrating an eminently dangerous act. Find the defendant guilty. Count three, second-degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk. Find the defendant guilty.
0: You're listening to Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, George Floyd, the Derek Chauvin trial, journey to an historic verdict... There was jubilation in Minneapolis, but maybe there was more relief. Many had gathered at the same spot where, on the 25th of May last year, a white police officer, Derek Chauvin, kept his knee on the neck of George Floyd, an African American man, for over nine minutes, ending his life. Floyd was being arrested on suspicion of passing a counterfeit $20 bill.
2: I grew up in Virginia, the Upper South. Uh, I grew up right outside of Richmond, Virginia. So uh, if you know your Civil War history, uh, the last capital of the Confederacy.
0: Dr. Andra Gillespie is an associate professor at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. She specializes in African-American politics and the post-civil rights generation.
2: Race was always kind of part of the subtext uh, of my life, not just because of my own family and genealogical background, but because I grew up in a place that was pretty central in the history of the United States and the history of race and racism.
0: She'd been following the trial of Derek Chauvin, of course. Even so, she was caught off guard when the jury reached a verdict after just 11 hours of deliberation.
2: So I had just finished a talk with high school students when I saw your email, actually. So you were the person who told me that the verdict uh, had come in. And so I instantly cut on my television and I was nervous. You know, I didn't know what to make of the verdict coming in so quickly. It was a long time. I found my body reacting in ways that I do, you know, if I'm waiting to figure out whether or not I've won a particular award or I remembered, uh, you know, when my tenure decision was being decided at my university, having some of the same physical reactions that I was having, sitting, just watching the news commentary, waiting, couldn't concentrate all that well. So I was trying to make decisions about what task will I do now that doesn't actually require a lot of thinking because I don't have the energy to kind of be able to do really uh high level things well like so can i just check my email because if i you know needed to do something that was a little more strenuous i, I, I might not have the bandwidth to do it in that moment Guilty on all charges. Ex-Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin guilty of second-degree murder, third-degree. My reaction when I found out, you know, I'm sitting there waiting for bated breath. So even though they started with the more serious charge first, and that was kind of a harbinger of what was to come, I still was waiting to see whether or not they were going to convict on the on the lesser charges. And you know, once it came out. There was a sense of relief, a slight catharsis, if I will say, you know, and I will confess to, you know, shedding a couple tears because this we've seen other instances where police officers have gotten off for killing unarmed black people. And so I didn't know what they were going to be responding to in this particular case. And so I have to say, I am thankful that the outcome came out the way that it did.
0: We'll hear more from Andra later in this episode and try to understand what the verdict means for race and policing in the USA. We'll also look at what actually happened during the trial. But first, the Sunday Times Washington bureau chief, Josh Glancy, spent some time in Minneapolis during the trial trying to get a sense of how this great global story was affecting those in the local community.
3: Hey, my name is Josh, I'm a reporter from the Times of London. I went down to the courtroom a few times while I was there and every day there was a selection of people standing outside protesting or milling around, talking, standing around. So I sort of started talking to some of them and quite a few of them actually knew George Floyd and were either friends of his or acquaintances or had some kind of personal connection. Do you want if I ask you some questions? Sure. That's really kind, thank you. One of the people I met was a guy called Tercel Walker. I've been in the Minneapolis area for the last eight or nine years. Right. And is this your first day down at the trial? Yes. Who was a kind of neighborhood friend of Floyd's. He said George Floyd would cut his hair, he'd cut his son's hair. He's cut my hair before, he's
4: cut my son's hair before. Yeah. He's a friend of the family.
3: In fact, he described Floyd as God Daddy to his son. I think his son and Floyd's daughter, young daughter, uh, had been friends.
4: Basically, to, for my son, that was her best friend.
3: Yeah. He felt quite personally traumatized. He'd he, he witnessed some of it happen.
4: Yeah, it, it, it was horrible, horrible day in Minnesota. And-
3: but he was able to to put his own personal feelings aside and describe what the case represented for his community, for what he saw as, you know, justice for African Americans and everyone really in America.
4: I wanted to show my support to other African Americans that are actually being victimized by the by the police in this country I and I believe that the you know, Derek Chauvin should be held accountable for what he did. All yeah. these officers should be held accountable for what they did.
3: Yeah.
0: Why did you say he was there outside the courtroom?
3: Really to to emphasize that he wanted justice and to emphasize that you know he felt something wrong was done to this man he knew george floyd because
4: i had to think about it what if that was one of my family members what if that was my little brother my little sister my dad my mom my uncle my aunt, my grandmother my grandfather what if that could have been my son yeah that would have been horrible it could have been any one of my family members including him
3: yeah we've all taken an interest in this george floyd Case. You know, it sparked protests all over the world. We all saw the footage. But you can imagine if you were a, an African-American living in Minneapolis, someone who knew Floyd and was part of that community, it's been an, just an enormous event in the city. How would you describe him as a, as a guy, as a man?
4: The guy was a h- heartwarming guy, like, family yeah. man. Always made sure other people that were with without
3: had what they needed. Yeah. It's really one of the biggest things to have happened in Minneapolis, so it means a lot to people like Tercel Walker.
0: I gather that George Floyd wasn't the only person involved in this case that Tercel Walker had met.
3: No, he'd also met Chauvin, and and that came up a lot from people I'd spoken to, that they knew of Chauvin. Tercel told me he'd been stopped by Chauvin, in his mind, unfairly in recent years.
4: stopped me down here in Minneapolis once or four years, like four years back. thought I was a troublemaker, and I, were, and I was just passing through, you know, yeah, going home on you know, my way from work.
3: And that he was known uh, as a tough cop, and he had a reputation.
4: He has a huge reputation of harassing people.
3: Yeah. But he did also mention that there's a big jump from this is the guy who might rough you up a bit, which is obviously still not great, to this is the guy who murdered George Floyd.
4: To see it gets from harassing people to actually taking it to another point yeah. where you're physically standing on a man's neck to where he can't breathe, yeah, and it's you and three other officers, that's wrong. Yeah. I don't know. That, that is wrong. Seems like he might...
3: Even though Chauvin had a tough reputation and a bad reputation in some quarters, this wasn't something that he really... Could have expected to happen.
4: A lot of people are saying that you know he had a personal past history with him.
3: Mr. Floyd. I mean, be that as it may,
4: it still doesn't give him oh, the gosh, right to gosh, take a man's life, of especially when he's not resisting arrest. Yeah.
5: Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, good morning. My name is Jerry Blackwell, and I apologize for talking to you through this plexiglass, but
0: let's now talk about what happened through the trial. Let's start with the prosecution and what exactly Chauvin was accused of. What were the charges against him?
3: He was charged with secondary unintentional murder. He was charged with third degree murder. And he was charged with second degree manslaughter. The first charge is the most serious. And the prosecutors have to show for secondary unintentional murder that beyond a reasonable doubt, Chauvin caused Floyd's death while assaulting him. They don't have to prove that he intended to kill him, but they have to prove that he caused his death.
0: When they began, what was the prosecution's main argument? And I'm sorry for asking a question to which the answer appears to be
3: so obvious. Prosecuting attorney Jerry Blackwell said in his opening statements, you can believe your eyes. You will learn what happened in that nine minutes and
5: 29 seconds. The most important numbers you were hearing in this trial are nine to nine. What happened in those nine minutes and 29 seconds when Mr.
3: Derek Chauvin was applying this excessive force to the body of Mr. George Floyd? We all saw what happened. Their argument is that the defense will try to complicate this. They'll talk about drugs in Floyd's system. They'll talk about training techniques that police officers had. They'll talk about there being a hostile crowd. Don't listen to it. You saw what happened. He suffocated this man to death with his knee on his neck for over nine minutes. So let's begin by
5: focusing then on what we will learn about this nine minutes and 29 seconds. And you
3: will be able to hear Mr. Floyd saying, please, I can't breathe. Please, man, please. They then brought in a lot of emotional testimony from witnesses and also medical and procedural testimony to back that, shore that point up. But it really does boil down to, this is what you saw, don't let anyone persuade you otherwise. Though
0: I have known about this footage since it happened, I had took a decision not to watch it tell me more about what the footage was who took
3: these pictures the video that the world saw if you like that sparked a a movement for george floyd was taken by Donella fraser who ended up being a witness in the case and was a, a young teenage girl
4: when i look at george floyd i look at i look at my dad i look at
3: my brothers,
4: I look at my cousin.
3: She took the stand and talked about how it could have been, it could have been my dad, it could have been my brother, it could have been my cousin.
4: I have a black father, I have a black brother, I have black friends. And I, I look at that and I look at how that could have been one of them.
3: And she said, she, she talked about staying up nights, apologizing to George Floyd for not doing more. She felt like she should have tried to physically intervene with the police.
4: And apologizing to George Floyd for not doing more and not physically interacting and not saving his life but it's like it's not what I should have done it's what he should have done
3: and then she said but it's not It really it's not what I should have done it's what what he, Chauvin, should have done
5: now Mr Nelson asked you a few questions about your video going viral and how that's changed your life Remember that, at the
3: end? Yes. She took this video and put it out on social media, and it went, obviously, immensely viral and was shown on every news broadcast in every country. And what it shows is Derek Chauvin's knee on George Floyd's neck. George Floyd is clearly in a lot of distress. He's saying, I can't breathe. He's in a state of quite advanced panic, really. Chauvin looks steady, unbending. Uh, He's in this position and eventually the life just slips out of Floyd.
0: In the footage, could you actually hear George Floyd begging to be let go?
3: Yes, and you hear him calling to his mother as well, and his mother actually died two years earlier. There's enormous pathos in that, you know, and people talk about it to this day, that he was kind of, he was in such a state of terror and fear that he called to his mother, which is perhaps our basis instinct as humans, to call for mum, but she wasn't even alive. And I think that's something that has resonated with people enormously.
0: Now, did the prosecution call any police witnesses?
3: The prosecution called a number of police witnesses. They called Police Lieutenant Richard Zimmerman, who is head of the homicide unit in Minneapolis, who described what Chauvin did as totally unnecessary. They called the Minneapolis Police Chief, Medaria Arredondo, when we talk about the principles and values that we have, that, that action um, goes contrary to, uh, to what we're taught. And said that it was in no way, shape or form anything that is within their policy, what Chauvin did. That in no way, shape or form is anything that um, is by policy, is not part of our training and it is certainly not part of our ethics or our values. It was pretty clear that the the senior figures in the Minneapolis police force, they were quick to condemn him for what they saw as as totally egregious actions.
0: Let's talk about the defence, because on the face of it, you have this video, and it shows the thing being done. So what did the defence
3: argue? They advanced several different arguments, basically. They didn't really have one silver bullet way to disprove the prosecution. But what they argued was that What looked like excessive force to a lot of people watching it was actually an appropriate restraint that police officers are trained to use.
5: Mr. Floyd does end up on the street and appeared to continue to struggle to these officers, so much so that they considered applying what's called the maximal restraint technique.
3: They argued that the suffocation that it it looked like Floyd experienced was actually related to his weak heart,
4: The
5: autopsy revealed many other issues, including coronary disease, an enlarged heart.
3: He had a number of heart conditions, including hypertension, to a drug overdose. There were drugs in his system, methamphetamine and fentanyl. And while many people saw what Chauvin did as as, as heartless and, and callous, actually, he was surrounded by a hostile mob. Of agitators.
5: There are people across the street. There are cars stopping, people yelling. There are There is a growing crowd and what officers
3: perceive to be a threat. And didn't really have that much choice, according to his training. So they introduced a couple of witnesses to back this up. A guy called Barry Brod, who is a longtime use use-of-force expert and retired police officer, who said he felt... Chauvin was justified in acting with objective reasonableness, given the policies he was working within. Uh, They introduced a guy called Dr. David Fowler, a former chief medical examiner for the state of Maryland, and he argued that Floyd died not of asphyxiation, but of cardiac arrest, partly as a result of the illicit drugs in his body. So they did manage to present expert opinion to back up their case. And I suppose... their their goal really was to introduce doubt, really, to to paint a picture of a police officer operating in difficult circumstances who was trying to go by his training.
2: Were
0: they arguing that somehow the idea of reasonable force for a police officer was different to what reasonable force is for anyone else?
3: Yes, that's always the basis of these police brutality cases. The defence always argues that a police officer has a different set of tools and operates in a very different environment to you or I. And they are trained to use violent restraint techniques and force because sometimes their life is in danger. And that's why it is very difficult to secure convictions for police. And we've seen in the past police get off. Again, it seems quite straightforward that they were the cause of death, but it doesn't always work out that way in the courtroom. Did
0: Chauvin testify?
3: Chauvin did not testify. He pleaded the fifth. He pleaded the Fifth Amendment, which avoids him potentially incriminating himself. Is this your
1: decision not to testify? It is, Your Honor. All right. Do you have any questions about your right to remain silent or to testify on your own behalf?
5: Not at this time, I don't.
1: All right. Does anyone uh, promised anything or threatened you in any way to keep you from testifying?
5: No promises or threats, Your Honor.
1: Do you feel that your decision not to
3: testify is a voluntary one on your behalf?
5: Yes, it
1: is.
3: So he gave a very brief statement doing that, which was quite powerful just because it was interesting to see him on the stand speaking, but but we didn't hear his testimony. I think there was a sense that he's not an enormously sympathetic figure, and therefore taking the stand probably wouldn't help his case.
0: What Chauvin might have said on the stand, we'll never know. But the jury didn't agree with the arguments of the defence. The 45-year-old, now former police officer, was found guilty of second-degree murder and two other lesser charges. Chauvin remained masked and impassive, except for his eyes flicking around the courtroom as the judge revoked his bail and placed him in custody.
1: We'll get you the exact dates uh, in a scheduling order. Is there a motion on behalf of the state? The state would move to have the court uh, revoke the defendant's bail and remand him into custody. Uh, Pending sentence. Bail is revoked, bond is discharged, and the defendant is remanded to the custody of the Hennepin County Sheriff.
0: It's expected he'll be sentenced in two months, and it's almost certain Chauvin will appeal. In just a moment, we'll look at another killing of a black man while being apprehended by the police. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free... Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
2: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? Right.
0: During the trial of Derek Chauvin, another black man was killed in Minneapolis whilst being apprehended by police. A black man has been shot dead by police in a suburb of Minneapolis, where the trial of a former officer for murdering George Floyd will resume today. Hundreds of protesters have taken to the streets and have been met by riot police with tear gas. The dead man has been named locally as Dante Wright, who was 20.
3: Demonstrators have clashed with police in Minnesota for a second night after a 20-year-old black man was shot dead by a police officer. It happened not far from where George Floyd was killed last May. On April the 11th, Dante Wright, a 20-year-old black man, was was fatally shot during a traffic stop. He was stopped by a police officer called Kimberly Ann Potter and he resisted arrest. She sought to restrain him by using a taser and pulled a weapon out of her holster, shouted, I'm going to taser you. But what she'd actually done is pull the gun out of her pocket and shot Wright. The police are very keen to emphasize this was a terrible accident. Wright's family haven't accepted that. On the face of it, difficult to imagine some, a, a trained police officer was mistaking their gun for a taser, but that it does appear to be what happened. Obviously, the timing really couldn't have been worse in terms of feelings around the trial, particularly in Minneapolis itself.
2: This is why African-Americans express outrage and frustration and fatigue at what's going on.
0: That's Andra Gillespie again.
2: And at the same time, you're just looking at the uncanny timing of this, that in the middle of a trial like this, yet another Black person gets shot by the cops. And and what's so visceral about this one is, is there, there's body cam footage, but the police officer yells, taser, 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 and then she shoots And, you know, we'll have to wait for this case to be tried in court, but a a taser is yellow and a gun is black. A taser is pretty lightweight, weighs eight ounces, and a gun weighs significantly more than that. So they're just all of these things in the case that people are looking at going, there's no way that this is a mistake to them. Now, the officer in this case will have her trial um, and she will be able to make her case. She is innocent until she is proven guilty, but... There are just certain facts in this case that are hard to believe.
0: What's even more bizarre is that there's even a kind of connection
3: between Dante Wright and George Floyd. George Floyd's girlfriend, Courtney Ross, taught Dante Wright at high school, which is a strange connection. But it is also back to the beginning of our conversation when I was talking to Tessa Walker and other people outside the courtroom. These are communities who are dealing with the police every day where, you know, they are, people know each other It's a lot of the same people interacting with a lot of the same police officers within these communities. So it's not entirely abnormal for people to know each other in these circumstances.
0: And just last week, yet more footage emerged of a teenager being shot dead by police.
2: There's still the issue of unarmed people being shot by the police. So we talk about Dante Wright, you know, this week, the videotape was released of Adam Toledo in, um, in Chicago.
3: This is another really awful incident. Adam Toledo, who's a 13-year-old Mexican-American boy, there's an incident in an alleyway. He's with another man. The police chase him down an alleyway. It's disputed exactly what happened, and actually the police narrative has changed, but what appears to have happened is that Toledo had a gun possibly, and threw it away and turned around and put his hands up to the police.
2: This all appears to have happened rather quickly. There are people who are going to be looking at the facts of that case to determine whether or not it was appropriate for the police officer to shoot him.
3: And the police officer, Eric Stillman, then shot Toledo as he had his hands up. The police are claiming that he had a gun, he threw it away. It all happened very quickly. They've got a picture of the gun nearby and the officer, unfortunately... reacted to that and killed Toledo.
2: I will say that when I look at that tape, the last frame before the shooting happens, I see the palms of Toledo's hands.
3: The imagery and reality of an unarmed boy with his hands up being shot by the police has obviously had a huge effect.
0: A lawyer for the officer, Eric Stillman, says he faced a life-threatening and deadly force situation and that all efforts to de-escalate the situation had failed. Do you think that one of the things it's calling... I mean, obviously, the racial questions are going to be foremost. Do you think that all this is getting people to ask themselves whether or not these these shootings are the inevitable result of having so many guns on the street and having a police force which is incredibly defensive about the chances of being shot?
3: There are questions around that. You know, we're having a gun control debate at the moment in America after a spate of mass shootings. But in reality, I think, although... I agree with you. I think the gun issue is absolutely central to this. Really, people are looking at this primarily through the prism of race and society and policing. And it's really, the focus at the moment is really an argument about why police are feeling justified in taking these lethal force measures, about why it is that young African-American men are constantly in these situations. Why don't they have better employment? Why are they living in areas where there's so little opportunity? Why is America a country that has been built on what they would call systemic racism, systemic inequality? And therefore, these incidents are seen as the tip of the spear, if you like, the flashpoints between police and these young men and women in some cases, whereas really it's it's the whole system that is rotten. And that's the argument you hear a lot from people campaigning for racial justice. So, Although the gun issue is obviously a part of it, it, it's not really where the focus lies.
2: One of the things that I think I would say to your audiences is that while I as an American, and I say this collectively, you know, own the racial sins that our country has done to Black people and not just to Black people, to other groups in the United States, it's important to put this into a global context and to recognize that anti-Blackness is not just an American thing. And it's certainly not an American export. I think every community, every nation is going to have to own and is going to have to deal with.
0: For Andra, does the verdict in the Chauvin case mean there are going to be big changes to law enforcement in the United States?
2: I think that what you're going to end up seeing is a somewhat uneven response. So, you know, there were cities, including Minneapolis, that did start talking about um, diverting funds away from police to uh, beef up other types of social services. But you have to look to see what the ultimate policies are and whether or not people kind of stick with those discussions. Um, And then there is the whole debate about defunding the police, which, you know, does not have uniform support even in the African-American community in the United States, um, and sometimes has been used as a trope for even people who will use the term defund the police who actually don't mean to defund the police or abolish police forces. And there's still that debate where we go forward and what should be happening at the federal level versus what's going to happen at the state and local level. So it's going to take time. And I would not be surprised if change happens incrementally and if it happens unevenly um, around this country. Just our federal system kind of sets it up that way. And then also when things aren't at the top of the agenda because there's a new story that pushes them there.
0: On the story of George Floyd himself, how does Andra now see him?
2: In many ways, George Floyd epitomized what inequality looked like. I always think of the fact that George Floyd had had COVID and COVID disproportionately has affected people of color in terms of the infection rate, but also in terms of the mortality rate. George Floyd uh, was poor. He uh, struggled with, uh, with with drug addiction uh, the way many people white and black and other races do in the United States, but he was fully human. And I think the thing that struck me more about this trial was when I see George Floyd resisting arrest in that video, if you will. I don't see somebody resisting arrest. I see somebody in the middle of having a panic attack who needed care and concern and who was not afforded that by the police who were attempting to arrest him, right? They didn't give him the benefit of the doubt on his humanity. They just saw a big Black dude and decided that their primary goal was to subdue him. And he lost his life because George Floyd was the type of person that was easily viewed as expendable. And that's what people mean when they say that Black lives matter, right? This isn't about trying to devalue anybody else's life. It's noticing, one, that Black people have to fight for their humanity to be recognized in ways that people in more privileged positions don't. And then also, if we're going to fight for justice for people, you don't have to wear a three-piece suit and speak the king's English. George Floyd should have been able to live to be able to speak to the allegations that were being levied against him with respect to that counterfeit $20 bill. But instead, Derek Chauvin took that opportunity for him to have his day in court. And he did so in such a brutal and violent way that he had to you know, be held accountable for that. So I wish people could see George Floyd's humanity. And they could see that in that moment where he was scared that he just needed a little bit of understanding and he didn't need to be to be manhandled in the way that he was
5: i'm jerry blackwell and my comments are going to be uh, fairly brief i want to first say thank you to all of these selfless servants that you see standing here and the many more that you do not see who had the willingness uh, the courage, the passion, the intestinal fortitude to get into good trouble. Uh, they stepped into the light and they shine. And for that, I say thank you. I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for the opportunity that I've had to serve. Now, no verdict can bring George Perry Floyd back to us. But this verdict does give a message to his family that he was somebody, that his life mattered that all of our lives matter, and that's important. And I also hope that this verdict, for all of the rest of the collective, all of us, will help us further along the road toward a better humanity. Thank you all.
0: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers to The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, David Aronovich... And my guests, Andra Gillespie, Associate Professor at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, and Josh Glancy, the Sunday Times Washington Bureau Chief. You can read more of Josh's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer today was Will Rowe, the executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Balkan Kiseltug. And look, if you have a story you think we should be covering, maybe an idea for a future episode or just thoughts on what you've heard, Send us an email to stories of our times at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon.